to the Exhaust Notes Podcast. What is good, everyone? Welcome to the Exhaust Notes Podcast, where every Tuesday we talk about all things Formula One. Now, if you're wondering why you're only hearing my voice and nobody else's right now, it's because this week we have a special episode for you. Rowick got the chance to talk with author Andy Amendola about his two Formula One books and a lot more. Andy even offered a discount code to our listeners, so you can use the code RACEGIFT, that's R-A-C-E-G-I-F-T, for 20% off at redracerbooks.com. So when you're done listening to the conversation, make sure you hit the link in the description to support. Now let's get into today's episode. Welcome to the Exhaust Notes Podcast. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to a special episode of the Exhaust Notes Podcast. We wanted to do something off the little uh, beaten path a little. So I've got Andy Amendola right here next to me. And Andy is a great guy because he wrote a book that I think a lot of our new fans and parents of new fans would like to buy, which is The ABCs of Racing. And this is a great book because as I was chatting with Andy about it in the pre-show, we're all relatively new parents in our community. And you kind of get in this habit of buying ABC books. And I was like, you know, that'd be great if there was an ABC book about Formula One racing. And lo and behold, thanks to a beautiful write-up in Jalapenic, Andy was able to come into our universe. So Andy, without any further ado, please introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about your journey in Formula One fandom. Yeah. Hey, Rohit. Hey, everyone who's listening. Thank you for having me, first of all, and thank you for such a great introduction. Um, yeah, so I'm Andy Amendola. I'm 41, 41. I live in Miami Beach, Florida. I'm married with two kids and, um, you know, I became a huge race fan thanks to Drive to Survive. That was really my my way in. And, and you know, like you mentioned, you know, I have kids. I look up, you know, ABC books. Beyond, you know, I look up a lot of books. My kids are six and eight. Um, and uh, when I fell in love with racing, I wanted to share that with them. I didn't really find that many great books out there covering F1, um, you know, in a way that was you know, I found informational, useful, engaging, and also timely. And um, after diving into F1 fandom, um, I, I made the plunge and decided to write my own kid's book and, and uh, started with the ABCs. I have a second book out and um, I'm hoping to grow the series. But uh, that's me in a nutshell. Thanks for having me. Of course, no. And thank you for writing this great book, because it was one of those things that, and I'll share this with you, we were coming out of a certain race review and we like to do the new term of the day when we remember for each race review. And Nick, who's one of our co-hosts said, you know, I wish we could do that on understeer. And I was like, you know what? That's funny you mentioned that because I read a book. Once again, shameless plug. ABC of racing. And wouldn't you know it, if I look up the letter U in said book, what does that say? That says understeer. So I do believe right. I may have read that verbatim. So here's your royalty in a sense. It's like, let's give you a broader platform. But awesome. it was just one of those things that it made sense. And it's one of the other aspects of this sport where I'm still relatively new. And I always said a barrier of entry for me would be the technological concepts. Because as we were chatting, I don't. I'm not as connected to the technical aspect of it yet, but this goes a long way because you have that opening round of questions that you really want to ask somebody. And then you're worried about the backlash and be like, oh, no, I'm going to be the kid in the class. It's like, how is two plus two four? And mm-hmm. the thing mm-hmm. I always tell people is please ask those questions because I've been in right. both sides of it. And there's nothing more exemplary or illustratory than somebody asking a question, you educating them the right way, because I think that is probably the best way to give off that passion of what you have for a sport. So I wanted to use that as a segue to say, 
when you first click Drive to Survive, because if I'm referencing referencing the Jalopnik article, I believe that was kind of your gateway into it. What about Drive to Survive made you want to take the ride into Formula One fandom? Yeah, so I'd have to say that um, first to give you context about how I watched Drive to Survive. So it was the pandemic. We were stuck at home for two years. Uh, we had remote learning with the children at home constantly, me and my wife working from home. You know, we were stuck inside for two years and I, and some friends urged us to watch Drive to Survive. It had been on my radar. It was on the to-do list, but you know, we ended up watching it and we watched it really just as escapism, mm -hmm. as entertainment. We wanted to, to, to watch it. We heard it was good and we started watching it and it was great. And really what did it was, was the stories of, of the characters. And yeah, I come from a marketing background and, and one of the things we use in marketing and brand building is, is brand archetypes, which are the same as storytelling archetypes, um, hero, explorer, there's villains, there's, you know, the everyman character, the digester character. Um, and I think Netflix and box to box films did a, such an amazing job making these really exciting, compelling, engaging stories about these drivers. And each episode was a story in and of itself. Um, and I think that's what really hooked me in because we just fell in love with these characters. To us, we were watching, you know, entertainment and the personalities had a lot of character and you wanted to see what happened next. So we watched the, you know, we binged the first three seasons. Mm -hmm. um, I hadn't turned on an actual race until after watching it. Um, but I, it was just a moment that after we finished those three seasons, me and my wife looked at each other and said, when's the next race? I want to know what happens next because, you know, we weren't going to wait another year right. to see what happened. Um, and we turned it on. We, we turned on the races. And from then on, like we knew what was going on. It's uh, I think Formula One is a sport that can be very intimidating. I, I myself, you know, feel intimidated, was intimidated by, by it before. Like it's come across my life a few times. It's come across in my career. I've worked with sponsors of racing before and, and, you know, several clients, but I never got, got it. And I never got into it. Um, it felt complicated, but what Netflix did is they, they told these amazing stories of people and then they weaved in, you know, the understanding of the sport as you went along so it was like a cliff notes or cheat code that, you know, just fast forwarded me into fandom. Uh, and I think that's what they do so well. Um, right. Now, it's con the way I explain it, because I've got family back in India and it's one of those things. My uncle played on the Indian national cricket team. And I'm always going through that thought exercise of how could I bring cricket into America or how could I bring basketball to India or something like that, that just allows you to cross over. And to your point, I can't think of a league or sport that has done that job better than drive to survive because it is so much about the characters. And we as human beings love a good story when told right. And I'll use the example similarly of as I was going through the first two seasons, for whatever reason, I think we all fall in love with Danny Ricardo. I mean, shout out to my two co-hosts where, I mean, he's probably been the greatest ambassador of a sport that I think anybody can ever think of. But I also gravitated towards Esteban Ocon. And I was just like, oh man, that'd be great if these two were ever on the same team. And lo and behold, to your point, it's like, as you're going through the season, you're like, okay, you know what? Season's done. Let me look. Hello, Renault. You've got Danny Rick. You've got Esteban Ocon. I've got my guys. 
And that goes a long way. And it's funny you mentioned the pandemic because the same way I was just like, I got through the first two seasons like this is great. I need an extra sport because I want to troll my wife. No, I'm kidding. Sorry. But (laughs) one of those thoughts where it's like I was ready. And then the pandemic started and the pandemic was so close to that Australian race in 2020. And you kind of just felt like, oh, man, this momentum might get lost. But it's a testament once again to Formula One and the show that people like, you know what? We will wait because how it's been presented has been so beautiful and there is something human. And that's the thing I keep coming back to because it's inherently a very mechanical sport. But the drivers, you can see that every race is a desperation. Like I always go back to the Nico Hulkenberg story of this man's never won a podium. And he seems to be a fairly accomplished driver in spite of that. But we are in a society that always looks at what have you done now in its rings culture? And he hasn't got that. So here's hoping now that he is on the grid again next season, he can get something because I think I'd love to get your take on this. There's nothing more overwhelming when you pick a new sport, you pick your guy and he does something awesome because that Validates you. Totally. And I, they did a great job of telling all those stories. Esteban Ocon is one of my favorites too, because of how he is kind of, you know, characterized in the show. I mean, he, his parents gave up so much, the amount of pressure that he must have on his shoulders to succeed. It, it's, it's, you know, and you want to root for an underdog. And when your underdog wins, that's the most amazing feeling ever. And I think what's great about it is that there's only, you know, there's 20 drivers. So it's not like that complicated a story, yeah. you know, uh, you can't tell that same story for every player on a, in a football league or a baseball league, you know, there's just way too many, but Netflix has been able to do it and you fall in love with that driver, that character, and then you want to see them do well. And then you start getting hooked and then you get into the other side. So I transitioned from, you know, the, the, the personalities and that's to the engineering side. Cause I fell in love with that side. I had no idea that existed. Mm-hmm. And for me, I, I went deep on that side and uh, Netflix kind of just was that hook, that gateway to get you exactly. in. And the idea for that ABC book was to help people because it's really hard to just turn on a Grand Prix. Mm -hmm. Like if that's going to be your first touch point with the sport, it's going to be tough because they use jargon. You know, if you don't know what box means, if you don't understand what DRS is, you're going to get lost and it's going to feel like cars going around in circles. But there's a lot more to it that if you have a little bit of introduction, understanding, it makes it so much more exciting. Yeah. And never underestimate, especially I think as we're kind of going through this journey as a country, I famously said, yeah, we're going to get 33 million new fans. I Maybe it was tongue in cheek, but it feels like every time I go to my local grocery store or if I'm having that conversation at water cooler, somebody's going to be like, hey, did you, I hear you're a Formula One guy. What do you think of X, Y, and Z? And like, that's the best way for this thing to spread around. So I guess I'll use that as a segue to a question I didn't jot down in our notes, but how have you dealt with that experience? Because I think as you articulate the brilliance of your book and the love of the sport, I'm sure people have come up to you and been like, Andy, I didn't know you were a Formula One guy. Da, 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 da. What is that first initial wave of conversation? Are like people now kind of coming to you as their Formula One guru? Is it something along the lines of, hey, why, why did you get into this sport? Yeah, yeah. So I've had so many of those kind of instances. So when I first started watching, um, you know, the actual races, 2021 was like the first season of me intensely watching. And it was an incredible season, as we we all know. And I started sharing and and people started 
you know, coming out of the woodwork and saying, oh, you like F1 too. And, and people before felt like they were, you know, almost closet F1 fans. They didn't talk about F1 a lot, you know, after Drive to Survive, that all changed. And, and, you know, when I posted about it, people would, you know, reach out to me and ask me, you know, what your thoughts are. And I also would ask, you know, it would be so much fun to have this conversation with someone new. Um, and that was really amazing to see. And every time, like you said, every day, there's more and more fans. I looked at it, you know, at, from a business perspective as well, because I wanted to see what the opportunity was to, to make these books. And what I saw, you know, every race, the ratings were, you know, double the previous year, uh, you know, on ESPN. And that doesn't even count the F1 TV and all the other things. So I noticed it was really ticking up in the U.S. and more and more and more. And like every week there was another podcast or another content creator or another merch, you know, person. It, it it's I noticed it catching up on and building and building and building and um some people do come to me as their kind of F1 guy, especially now after I wrote the books, but I actually go to lots of other experts who have, or lots of other fans who have been in it for so long. And one of the, one of the kind of key points of my fandom was being invited to a, a group chat, you know, WhatsApp chat of F1 fans in Miami, a friend of mine who I knew loved cars and, and things like that. I didn't realize he was a big F1 fan, but when I posted, he invited me to this group. And then that unlocked, you know, this group of people who are institutional fans have been fans for a very mm -hmm. long time. And that for me was really important in my fandom because I got to understand and ask questions and, and really become a student of these previous fans who like every race I would ask questions like, is that legal what he did? Or, you know, why is he doing this? Or, you know, what does an undercut mean? You know, like I learned a lot through that group and through that conversation. Um, and I'll say I'm, I'm not an F1 expert, but I really try. I try to learn as much as I can. I'm constantly learning and um, interacting with people who are just getting into it now. It's so cool because it feels like I can be an ambassador, yeah. you know, and that feels really awesome because you know, I'm sharing something I love getting people excited into a sport. And I think the sport has tremendous Tremendous potential, uh, not just for kids, but for adults, too. There's just so many layers to it. There, there's so much opportunity. And I think it's great for the U.S. that it's it's gone from one race to three races. It's really amazing. I hope it sticks. Um, and I know you guys were talking about, um, you know, Logan Sargent having an American on the grid right. is going to be, a, you know, make a big impact. And I think so. I, I think the question is now is, you know, is this fandom just a spike is it temporary or is it going to be something sustainable and is it going to grow? And I think things like Logan Sargent entering and having an American presence, definitely going to help the three races. That's going to help. Um, you know, it would be great if we could get a, a real full American team, right. you know, like Andretti has been trying to get into the sport for a long mm -hmm. time, you know, that would help take it to the next level, but it's already on its way. And, you know, I'm really enjoying the ride. No, I think that's beautifully said. And it is one of those things to your point. We had 
no joke, what feels like the greatest Formula One season ever. So whatever we were going to get into this particular season was going to feel like a natural come down just because you can't have that money stakes. It can't have that intensity over the course of a season. Yeah, the season may not have lived up to it in a certain competitive sense, but our midfield battle was strong. To your point, we're getting new drivers and new blood into it. And it always helps to have an American because if there's one thing we as a fan base do, regardless what the sport of the medium is, we will show up with enthusiasm. It's our superpower. It's contagious because everybody sees the Americans like, holy cow, we did not realize these guys were to the party and they were going to bring four loco and Krispy Kreme. So it's been one of those thoughts where she's like, I keep hoping. It's like, just keep with the sport. And like a lot of American sports, you have your front runners, you have your institutions that are just committed to winning, but there is a beauty in the midfield. And that's the thing I always kind of tell people. midfield, that is the heartbeat of the race. Because you are going to see all those concepts that you can capture in your book, the ABCs of racing, more explicitly in the midfield because the front half is so far. I was going to use this opportunity to say, what were some thoughts that you had as you were watching that season unfold? Were you okay with the weekly week chunk? Because I think a lot of us got addicted to that binge quality. And we were able to see narratives play out in a slightly slower, more methodical way. But ultimately, I think it was more rewarding because you now go through the ebbs and flows, the highs and lows of the season, the way you would for football or basketball or baseball. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I, I wouldn't see Drive to Survive as a substitution for for coverage of the sport. You know, it's 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 meant to be entertainment. It's not meant to be a a documentary of what happens along the season because they do jump around a lot, you know, and they they try to create, you know, manufacture stories that require you to, you know, maybe air races in different in different, you know, time periods. And that, that can be frustrating. So what I did is after watching those three seasons and then I I came to the other side of the fandom. Once you're on the other side of the fandom, and given that 2021 was such a good season, it's really hard to go back and look at it the same way. So when I watched the fourth season and it was kind of a, a love hate situation because I really wanted to see how they covered right. 2021. But I was also really worried of having to relive parts of 2021. Yes. And uh, so I think you have to look at it from uh, whatever your perspective is and have that kind of context. For me, my perspective changed dramatically after becoming a full time fan mm -hmm. and watching the season because I really like the racing that happens. I really love tracking it between races and understanding what's happening. Um, and there's so much that happens outside of the show. And the show is, is not a substitution. It's more of a, a promotion or like an infomercial. I think of it I mean, as like fair. the perfect infomercial, um, you know, that you would watch at late night TV and it's like order now, you know, that's basically what happened with me. Drive to survive was buy it now. As soon as it ended, I, I got the F1 TV app. Oh, awesome. And then, you know, after that, it was all in. So I think you have to look at it from, you know, what's that perspective? So if you're, and that's probably how traditional fans felt about it. They they probably, you know, they already love the sport. They know everything that's happening. They're following it. Why do I have to watch this? You know, why should I watch it? And it's maybe not exactly, you know, telling the exact story of a season. It's, it's doing its own thing. Right. 
No, that's, I think the aha moment a lot of us have, because when we're in that Venn diagram and you're initially in the Netflix side, you're like, oh, this is easily consumable. These are bite-sized treats. And then as you slowly go to the right or the left, depending on how you're looking at that Venn Venn diagram circle and you fully entrench in that Formula One fandom, it almost becomes an insult. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but... Netflix has a job. They have to sensationalize. They have to dramatize and they have to take artificial means. Whereas once you're in the sport and you've got it hooked into your veins, there's no amount of artificial rose colored glasses that you can do that can substitute for the real drama you feel as that actual fan. So that's one of those things where the passion comes to you and then it stays with you. And I wanted to use that to say, like, what inspired you to take that passion you had for the sport? and write the actual book. And you had mentioned two of the kids and shout outs to them because I'm assuming they were the inspiration for the book, but walk us through that kind of synthesis of, Hey, I love the sport and I want to write a book about it. Yeah. Yeah. They were definitely a big part of it. You know, I dedicate the book to them and uh, I have to say they were, they were my inspiration for it. Uh, But basically, you know, my, my fandom was a chain reaction of, of a lot of events, you know, from drive to survive to starting to watch the races and watching not just the, the actual race, but I watched all the practice sessions. I watched the quality sessions, you know, I, I'd watch, then I'd start watching podcasts, YouTube videos. I went full down the rabbit hole of, of, you know, fully immersing myself in the sport. I became like a sponge. That's kind of how I am in life. I, I, I like to research things, yep. you know, and, and, I, and I, I dive in deep when I find something I like. And when I find something I like, I share that with my kids, you know, through our nighttime reading ritual. You know, since they were born, we've been reading to them every single night. Me and my wife switch off with our two children. Uh, my son is just turned seven. His name is Joaquin. My daughter is Blanca and she's eight. And we've been reading to them every, every day since, since birth, basically. And I read a lot of books. And over the years, as you're, you're probably see is like you start selecting the books that you want to read to the kids uh, and start kind of, you know, steering them on that path because you want to read books that are interesting to you. And I found some great books over those years that I learned so much about other things, you know, that I liked. Um, and when it came to F1, I wanted to find books like that for them. And I really did struggle. I went on Amazon, I Googled, I, I, I did my homework. There are some out there. Um, you know, I really like the biography of Ayrton Senna. That's, um, by Maria Isabel Vergara Sanchez, okay. long name. Um, it's, it's, it's in a series called little people, big dreams, oh, yeah. um, okay. which is a great series overall, because I used to buy the books. My daughter loves like the Marie Curie one and, uh, um, the Martin Luther King one. There's like all these, you know, famous people. Um, and they did one on, on Ayrton Senna, which was great. And then outside of that, I couldn't find more content about actual the racing and the cars, because to me, I see there's a big STEM component um, in motorsports. So, you know, that was the seed of the idea. Um, And then I continued on my fandom, my research. And then my Miami was announced as a race and I live in Miami. So there was a U.S. Grand Prix. Then there's a Miami Grand Prix. Then they announced the Las Vegas Grand Prix. And I said, whoa this is, this is crazy. How did we go from one race to three races? And everyone was kind of blown away by that announcement. Mm -hmm. And then I made plans to actually go to, to the race in Austin last year, uh, 2021 Coda. And I went because 
you know, it just so happened that I had a friend who moved from Miami to Austin before the pandemic. I hadn't seen him. You know, he'd been asking me to come out and and check out his place in Austin. And I looked up tickets. It was, you know, right after the pandemic ended ish, you know, like this was the biggest event of, of gathering of real people in public for like many years. Um, and I, and I went because I didn't have to pay for a hotel and it was like last minute, let's just go. And that was a huge turning point for me. So I don't know if you've been to an actual racing person. One of these days. Yeah, it, it is. It is amazing. It blew me away. You know, the amount of people that were there, the energy, you know, they don't lie when they say it's like a Super Bowl. You know, every race is like a Super Bowl event. I mean, I haven't been to a Super Bowl, but like the the production was was incredible and the energy of the people was incredible. People were there for watching the race and I just got sucked in. And then I realized, hey, this breaking records for the biggest race ever, which since then, I think it's been broken by them again, probably. Yeah. Um, but that for me was a turning point. You know, I realized this is this is happening in the U.S. And because that was in October, in May, the, the race was coming to Miami. You know, it went from an idea of writing just a general book to creating more of a platform and a series. Perfect. And on that plane ride home, I joke about how I, I started writing a marketing plan for it. And it went from a, one book to, you know, creating a series of books and with the potential for more because I see Motorsports as this amazing platform that can cover um, kind of like the, the themes of competition, sportsmanship, um, inclusion, teamwork. Diversity. Yeah. Then there's diversity and inclusion, gender parity, yeah. which is a big, you know, thing that, that, that I care about, that there's a lot of female fans that care about and that group is growing. And then there's the STEM. For me, I love the, the, you know, the whole science and technology behind the car. The fact that there's a driving competition and then there's an engineering competition. And it's those two things have to work together for you to have success on track. And that there's thousands of people working on these cars and every little piece of the car means something and has to do something. It has a function. So taking all those things into consideration and realizing there wasn't like a platform for, for kid content or, or to get, you know, young children into STEM through motorsports, I saw an opportunity and I went for it. And, um, and we thank you for I, it. I, no, because, yeah. I mean, I know I sound like a broken record. That's usually a staple of any podcast I'm on. This was <laughs> great. And it was one of those things you mentioned in your marketing background. You mentioned that fortuitous playing right at home. And I was just wondering, did you have any preconceived notions when you had that desire to write this book? And then when you went through the actual writing process, was there any sort of growing pains or did it come a little bit easier to you because of your background? And then how have you seen it evolve? Because to your point, you don't have just ABCs of racing. You have a second book as well. And I was just wondering what that natural trajectory was. Yeah. So to start with, I created the ABCs of racing and I did that intentionally because I wanted to create something that was more basic and introductory. And also I could do it myself. You know, uh, if a fact book or some, a more complex book requires a designer and an illustrator to lay everything out. But an ABC book is very simple. You have an image, you have a letter and text, and it repeats page after page. And an ABC book, and I've read a bunch of those to my kids as they've grown up. And I've learned that there's some that are very basic, like for a baby where it's just a letter. Mm-hmm and a word and there's ones that are 
provide a little more context. And I wanted to create something that was, you know, a parent could read to their one-year-old or their baby, or could read along with a, um, you know, four or five to eight-year-old, you know, kid. And I actually wrote it with my kids. So we sat down and went, like, I just listed out the letters and I said, what are the different terms we could use for all these different letters? You know, uh, A, aerodynamics was an easy one, B for box, but then there's some that you could have multiple terms for. And we actually worked together on figuring out what that was. And because of my marketing background, I was able to know what I needed to do to produce it. So I basically found an illustrator, you know, interviewed a bunch of them, gave them a, a mood board and a, and kind of references. I was very inspired by the posters, F1 posters, right. historic posters, you know, that are these beautiful pieces of artwork. Uh, so I wanted to take that inspiration and create a kind of simple ABC book um, that got parents excited about it. The growing pains happened on the publishing side. Okay. So I, you know, and, and I'm still working on my writing. And the idea was to write an ABC book, then a book about cars. And the third one's going to be more about the competition, the Grand Prix, the rules, the things like that. Um, but the growing pains happened on the publishing side. So I realized quickly that for me to get this book made and out by the Miami Grand Prix, which was, you know, five, six months away, I would have to take a self-publishing route, you know, and in publishing, you can either be a, you can go to the traditional route, which is finding a book agent, selling your story to a traditional publisher, like a random house, penguin, scholastic for kids books, things like that. But that process is very slow. It takes about two years from the time you sell to the time it hits the shelf and you lose a lot of, you lost a lot of creative control. And, you know, I'm not on the creative side of marketing. I'm on the strategy side of marketing in my career, but I've always wanted to make something. And I, I knew that when I wanted to make something, I wanted to be in control of how it looked, how it came out, all the different parts of it. And so I went with the self-publishing route. I launched on Kickstarter, actually, which is a crowdfunding platform, uh, which was one of the hardest things I've ever done. I had no idea how much work goes into a Kickstarter, but it is remarkable and the pressure also but it was an incredibly fulfilling experience too um as as people who've done kickstarters will know it you really connect with that community and you you have this um, connection with your backers they're not you know your customers they're your backers and i still talk to uh, many of them and them some of them have invited me to their group chats awesome. so it's it's a really remarkable way to start um and that's basically how it started with that ABC book. And I did it in English and in Spanish because I am Latino and I wanted to have a, a Spanish version of the book, well, partially because I wanted my kids to get more into learning Spanish. Um, but it started with that. And uh, I, I, you know, I saw the great reaction, like people were having a great reaction, like, like you have. And I, I really appreciate that. And, and people said, you know, keep going, keep going. Um, so I was like, okay. And, and then I went to the next thing that I wanted to cover, which was cars. So the second book is all about race cars. And I really dove into the, the new regs because as you know, these cars change a lot, yes. but every few years, five years or so, there's big changes. And those big changes have a, a lagging effect. And, and I kind of wanted to capture that moment in time. The cars were new. No one had 
done anything on the new cars. So that's why I, I went to the cars the next thing. And, and that's because also because of the STEM component. So I could dive deeper into understanding aerodynamics, mechanics, um, the tires, um, all the different components of the car um, that might excite kids into understanding, hey, it's not just about fast cars zooming around a track. There's all this other piece behind it. And that's why I have a character, Roxy, who's an engineer as well, because I want to make sure that kids can see that it's not just about drivers. There's a whole other component about it. And she represents the engineering side and the team, you know, so um, it basically started with, you know, something, creating something simple that I wanted to get out quickly, mm-hmm. still done in a, in a, in a good way. Cause I did spend a ton of time on right. it. Um, but then I wanted to create, you know, a follow-up and, uh, and I still have plans to, to do more and I'm working on more books. It's just a question of how much time and, uh, I can put into it because this is not my full-time right. job. This is my side hustle that I want to turn into my full-time job. And that's my, that's always been my goal with this project, but I'm self-publishing. So I'm learning a lot of things on my own and that, that side, the distribution, the, now I'm trying to expand internationally and uh, that's been quite a headache, uh, but it's, it's amazing because I'm, I'm learning and I, I like to keep learning um, and I've learned a lot and I still have a, a lot to learn. Um, so it's been, it's been a fun journey. Yeah. And that journey, once again, shameless plug number four, ABCs of racing available mm-hmm. wherever you find books. And you know what? I really appreciate the component and the thought around diversity and inclusion. My daughter is going through a Spanish immersion school. And it's one of those things that inevitably when it comes to Papa reading, I think I might read the Spanish version of your book now, because it's one of those things that you can't always say that about books. And when you give the kids that image of, hey, that can be me, whether it's the story written in my language that I speak at home or that character looks like me, that goes a long way. So I thank you for that. As a fellow parent of a kid that is always not necessarily seeing her her country or her nationality represented. I wanted to use the last five or 10 minutes to kind of give some shine to the kiddos because they're the ones that inspired your book. Who are some of their favorites or who are some family talking points where you may like somebody, but your kid's like, Oh no, Max Verstappen, get out of here. old man, like talk to me about that. The best part of becoming a fan is you have your favorites. Yeah. Yeah. So last year it was, it was, it was a, we were a house divided, let's say, because my son last year was a huge Max Verstappen fan. So uh, yeah, I had to get him some Max merch. Uh, but I was on the Lewis Hamilton side, uh, as was my wife. I'm also a Ferrari fan. Uh, you know, I have to admit it. It's for me as a child growing up, Ferrari was just yep. this this brand, this, this icon. Um, and it's, for me, it's like a heritage kind of thing. It's not just like, Oh, they're doing great. Cause they're not, it's more of just like Ferrari is, is this, this, this cool brand that's iconic. Mm-hmm. Um, and also it doesn't hurt that my, my family before they came from South America came from Italy uh, and my name is Italian actually. So there is some kind of connection there, but my son is a huge Max Verstappen fan. My my daughter, I was trying to get her into the Lando and, the, and Ricardo, yeah. um, and she does like them. Uh, but now she's transitioned into full Lewis, um, full That's Lewis fandom. Um, yeah, Lewis is just a big personality in our household. He, he was a huge inspiration to me. Uh, we love seeing what he does on track, but also what he does off track. You know, he's a great role model. Um, 
So, but what I'll say is that, you know, we, we like a lot of racers and it's not like we have a home team necessarily. So, you know, the race, who I'm cheering for kind of changes throughout the season and evolves, but I, you know, and there's so many, so many great drivers and so many great characters to choose from um, the fandom to choose from. Uh, So I would say, yeah, we, we have kind of moved over more into the Mark Ferrari territory. My son is still a Max Verstappen fan. He loves Valtteri Bottas too. Oh, nice. Yes. He's a, he's a, he's a VB stand for sure. Um, and you know, we're trying to get into, I'm trying to get him into Williams more too as well. Um, but yeah, uh, it's, everyone has their favorite and we all have different merch and, and things like that. Um, That's beautiful. But, uh, I mean, it's, 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 it's just fun to, to, be able to do that with my kids. No. I mean, I yeah. think that's the secret joy of parenting is like when you can introduce them to stuff you like and knock on wood, they actually catch on to it. And they're like, yes, another level of friendship and parenting has been unlocked. And I, yeah. I share a same sentiment where it's like, especially this season with Ferrari, I don't have the innate connection that you do, but it's one of those like, I think I have Stockholm syndrome because they're so good. They just please put it together. And it's just, I'm like, please, I feel like a parent watching them make their first steps towards competency. Sometimes I'm like, I think you guys got it. I think you, Oh no, you ran into it. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I'm here's hoping that it's like a savior syndrome or something. It's like, you want them to, you're sticking by them regardless. And I love the Valtteri Bottas shout out as well, because I'm, I'm hoping, uh, Joaquin, once you're old enough, you can receive the infamous print that Valtteri, Oh, yes. I thought about getting it. (laughs) No, one of my co-hosts gave me that. And I'm like, yeah, I I need to figure out how I can tastefully display this in the office. But (laughs) I really love your point around Ferrari as well, because I used to work at Nike. And it was one of those things where when the interviewer asked me why Nike, I waxed poetic very similarly to you, where it's like, I'm an immigrant. uh, I'm an immigrant to this country. And Nike is just one of those brands like Ferrari, where it's like, if I know I do my job right, I have that at my disposal. And that's what Ferrari represents to a lot of folk. And there is something, I think it may have been Carlos Sainz that says, everybody wants to race for Ferrari. Yes, All of us get yes. the opportunity. Yes. I feel like every driver, even now, would still want to. Because if there's a childhood dream of like that childhood poster you have in, in, your, in your bedroom yep. of that hot Ferrari Tessarossa or whatever it was when you were growing up. And it's an internationally known symbol for success and, and, and racing and luxury. So yeah, it's, it's definitely something, you know, as, as an immigrant, you know, or an immigrant family, like you, you, these are brands that you want to associate with yourself and the, something that some of the other brands don't necessarily have, but everyone kind of aims for. No, we made it as soon as you have that affiliation. So on that note, Andy, where can people find your book? Where can they find you in case they want to follow up with this conversation? Because this last two minutes, I just want to give you that platform since you gave Formula One a brilliant platform. Thank you, Rohit. I, I appreciate that so much. That That's so awesome. And I love coming on and, and sharing my story and sharing my love of F1. Um, you can find the books at redracerbooks.com. That's where I, I sell them primarily. They're also on Amazon. Um, you know, there's an, there are enough handful of independent bookstores in Miami and LA, but beyond that, it's mostly e-commerce as I am self-published. Hopefully that will change in the future and I'll be able to get my books out to more people. That's my goal. 
Um, but right now, redracerbooks.com. And if you are on social, at redracerbooks is my handle for most of the platforms. And I do create a lot of content on those platforms. I try to engage the community and create, you know, family friendly content um, as I, you know, as, as we go, because it's, it's fun for me. And I think it's a great platform, like I said. So, uh, and if you want to reach out directly, um, hello at Red Racer Books. And I love to meet new people and, um, you know, share this passion that we all have for, for racing. That's brilliantly said. Once again, the book ABCs of Racing. And Andy, what's your second book called? Yep, I have it right here. All about race cars. Perfect. And they're both available in English and Spanish. So this one's only in English right now. Okay. I'm working on a translation. There. Yes. Awesome. So thank you so much for your time, Andy. That is Andy Amandola. Uh, apologies if I butchered it. I didn't mean to, but thank you again okay. for your time, your efforts. And we look forward to hopefully catching up with you in the future to talk about the races now that we've got this nice introductory episode for you. Definitely. I love that. Excellent. Thank you again. Thanks.